0: All right. So, uh, what you know? Last week we talked about the personality of the new covenant, and the reason I talked about that rather than the culture or rather than the criteria or or so on is I really wanted us to start conditioning ourselves to think about the new covenant in in terms of the person of Jesus, because I believe I believe that's what the new covenant is all about. And so, the first thing that I kind of rewrote them. This is the the clauses of the new covenant. If you were to read it in Jeremiah, or you were to come up and, and watch it in um, I read it in uh, Hebrews chapter eight. So the first part is I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And so what I 'm trying to do is give us a way to relate to this as we think about other aspects of life, and so I call it internal and empowering. Does that make sense? So it, we, we, we no longer appeal to a law from the outside. We no longer have to listen to a priest to tell us what to do. We no longer look to a, an institution or a structure to provide that forgiveness. We don't. We don't have to. Um, we don't have to wonder about even the inclinations of our heart. Now, I don't want to go crazy on that one, I, I, and I don't want you to. I know that we still have the capacity to harbor evil stuff in our heart, but the reality is, is when the Lord has put His own righteousness, His own light, His own law in our hearts. And the reason I say His righteousness and His light is because back in the beginning of John. Uh, John says that, and and there was a light that came into the world that enlightens the heart of every man. And this is part of what I want us to begin to see in the new covenant: is that things are different than than you might think. They're not necessarily, um, they're not necessarily so us and them. They're not necessarily so in and out as we might think on. So the first one's internal and empowering. You and I and everybody out there that's involved in this covenant has the righteousness of God in the form of who he is, how he does, what righteousness looks like, the law, it's put in us. I had a question earlier this week. I was talking with some friends, and they go, you mean the whole law? Do you mean the Ten Commandments? And I said, I don't know. You know. Do I think every jot and tittle, every cultural thing, every dietary law is put in our hearts? I don't know if that's what it means. What I think is the essence of, of, of the structure of righteousness that expresses who God is the law, the the commandments, those sorts of things, they're all in here now internally. And they finally, from that position, get to be governed the way they're supposed to be. Not by rules, not by a lot of weird outside enforcement, but by love. And I think that's what's, what's going to be happening. So, the next one is relational. God says, I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. Now, this is the claim and the desire that he's been pushing for forever. Way back in Exodus... Uh, it was obviously his intent to be their God, and Adam needed to be his people in Genesis. But way back in Exodus, God met the children of Israel after they got out of Sinai, and he started saying, I'm going to be your God, and I want to live in the midst of you, and this, that, and the other. Now, they weren't able to take that. They pushed him off. They, they needed something different. They needed rules. They needed regulations. They needed structure or order. They weren't ready for the relationship with the one who caused the mountain to smoke and burn with fire. They just weren't. And God gave them that covenant. Uh, it was kind of a, a dumbed-down relationship in a lot of ways. It was certainly a distant, uh, and I don't mean that derogatorily, the dumbed-down part. It was like a distant, hands-off, arm's-length kind of relationship, but that's not the way it is now. Interpersonal, in us, heart and mind. You can ponder the righteousness of God. You can ponder the truth of who He is. Next one is, is, is I'm going to say, broad and inclusive. It says, they shall not teach everyone his fellow Citizen or everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. So personally, I don't know how you feel about it, but of all the things that are said there in Hebrews chapter 8 about the new covenant, and, uh, you know, that he's going to write his law in our hearts, he's going can, to, I can get my head around that a little, little bit, that he's going to be my God and I'm going to be his people, uh, we're going to be his people. I don't have a problem with that. I know that's been his intention forever. The last one, though, this 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 clause, it says, They shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone one his brother, saying, No the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the New American Standard Version. This one's a tough one to wrap my heart my mind around. All will know me. And and, and so because there seems like there's so many people that don't. You know? It seems like there's so many huge deposits of humanity around the around the globe and throughout time that don't. But let me tell you something. What is our faith for if it's not to believe the revelation that comes to us in Scripture that we don't already understand? One of the problems in, in I think, modern Western Christianity is that we, uh, we believe that we, we actually do know everything. And as a result, and no, and I'm not talking about even just out of arrogance. I'm saying, we've, you know, if you've been around church for very long, you've been in Sunday school if you were a kid, You've, you've listened to it on radio and TV. You've heard people like me yammer and yammer and yammer. You've read your Bible. You've got commentaries. You've picked up a few books when you, you know, got kind of stirred up about a topic. And you'd think with all that study and all that reading and all that stuff, you'd finally, you know, get a hang on it. If you spent that much time cooking, I'd expect to come over to your house and have a gourmet meal every night. <laughs> and, uh, if you've spent that time working on cars, I wouldn't expect you to be broke down on the side of the road looking hopeless, you know. But Christianity is a different breed of things here in our culture. We have an expectation of understanding, but we I think we fail to really seek out the core of most matters and just believe them in the face of all the evidence. And I think that's what I'm passionate now about the New Covenant. Because, what, because it is, I think, the core of everything else that we're going to experience and learn from God. And I'll explain why in just a second. But this one, uh, the idea that not everybody, that everybody's going to know, there's plenty of evidence in Scripture to link it back to to ponder it. For instance, it was the one I told you about uh, in, in the prologue to John, that uh, coming into this world... There was a true light that lightens the heart or enlightens the heart of every man. And then I know it was a a revelation I had a few years ago as I was reading Scripture, but uh, it really does say in Joel that I'm going to pour my spirit out on all flesh. And that was hard to listen to because at the time, when I first started pondering that, I was an Assemblies of God guy and a vineyard pastor, and I thought, you know, that we had like a Pentecostal privilege or some such thing. (laughs) And that the Holy Spirit was designed to be poured out on hungry, hungry uh, non-Pentecostals and Charismatics that want to be Pentecostals and Charismatics. And uh, it's just not like that. God's doing a big thing. And he's been doing a big thing since the beginning. And, and he's revealed it through the, the prophets. This thing we're reading about in the New Covenant that's cited in Hebrews chapter 8 was first prophesied, almost word for word, uh, by Jeremiah. And so it's cited in there. And we looked earlier last week to the fact that it also has roots in Isaiah chapter 9-6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government rests on his shoulders. I think the new covenant is that government. I think it's the one that God has established. And it says there that it's going to last forever. It's going to be established on the throne of David and it's going to go on and on. And it's never going to suffer anything but increase and peace. Now back to my point what do you use your faith for if it's not to believe something that's stated plainly that you can't see so that's that one okay the, the next category I put in there is that given and sustained by God's own mercy initiative in other words the new new covenant is something that was God's idea it was God's initiative He gave it based on his own mercy. Not on our our works or anything like that. And it says, For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The one uh, little language thing I want to point out is the word for there would would be easily translated because. And so you have these other clauses that I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. But the reason these are all going to happen is because... is because... I am going to have mercy on their transgressions. And I'm going to remember their sins no more. Okay? So that's the essence of the New Covenant. And the reason I put it up there in those words is I want to show you something. If Jesus is the centerpiece of this New Covenant, and the reason I think he is is because I think he is, but also the reason I think he is is because at the Last Supper, he held out uh, the cup and he said, this is the New Covenant of my blood. He identified it as the New covenant his blood so Jesus is internal and empowering now we're we're not going to have time to go through all these scriptures but you guys can get the notes laurel if, what, what do they have to do just send an email to uh, info or admin okay info at joylandlife.com if you'll just send that to us and say send me the notes we you know, we'll put you on the list and you get all the notes but John fourteen twenty is an amazing scripture that says, "In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you." If that's not internal and personal and empowering, I don't know what is. Ephesians three fourteen through nineteen is that amazing passage. that talks about how God is making room in our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit, so Jesus can live there. Okay, internal. And empowering, our our new life, our new covenant life is in fact Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's the promise that has been hidden uh, hidden through the ages. Paul says in Colossians, and has now been revealed. So uh, it's also relational. Matthew eleven twenty eight. I do want to read that one. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now that's a wonderful thing for some gentle, wonderful soul to say. But who is it that said that? It's the creator of all. It's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It's the, uh, the word of the Father that in the beginning was face to face with him. One through whom everything was made that has been made, come, come, let me love you. Let me walk with you. My burden's easy. Jesus is relational. that's why I think that we can think of the, the New Covenant in terms of relation, in terms of relational relationality. The, uh, John 15 12 through 15 is where Jesus ends up saying, "I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Has there ever been a God? Throughout the history of humanity, that said, I don't want to call you servants. I want to call you friends. The answer to that is no. But it's true of our, it's true of our King. It's true of our Savior. Broad and inclusive. Uh, oh my gosh. Um. <laughs> let me let me read one section here. Uh, what do I want to read? You want to do that one? Yeah, let's do John 10, since we're close. Verse 14 reads like this, John 10. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now listen to 16. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. I don't know where your mind runs when you hear Jesus say that, but more likely than not, if you've been in church for a while, you'll be thinking about, you know, the Gentiles and coming to know the faith. You'll be thinking about Cornelius and Peter, uh, ending up in his house at the admonition of the Lord, the leadership of the Spirit. You'll be thinking about, uh, the dividing wall being broken down, the two being made one. Paul talks about theologically. Um, there is a great deal of broadness and inclusiveness to this. And we've seen that everywhere, on the earth, that the gospel goes, the story of Jesus being the King of kings and Lord of lords, the story of his death and resurrection, everywhere that we go and celebrate this covenant, men have the capacity to come to the Lord. and There's a reason for that, and it's this covenant. It's the nature of Jesus expressed in this covenant. And the last one is given and sustained by God's own mercy and initiative. Second Corinthians 5.18 is, is where it says, Uh, it it says that uh, God was in Christ reconciling the world and the word behind that word is cosmos. So let your mind and your imagination run to understand the breadth of the cosmos that's being talked about. It's not just being talked about saving the earth and it's not just being talked about saving a person or a few people. But it says that uh, God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself not counting their transgressions or their sins against them. And then he goes on and he, he starts talking a little bit, and we're going to look at that in a little bit more detail. Uh, John three sixteen and 17. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever you know, would believe in him. And he didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him could be saved. So these are the characteristics, I think, that can very easily be seen in the life of Jesus, and we really ought to ponder them all the time. Those are the characteristics of the new covenant. So let's imagine that we actually fully believe that the New Covenant is the government that we're under and that rests on the shoulders of Jesus, like it says in Isaiah 9, six. What can we do and how might we do it differently? Now, I think there's a ton of examples, but I've picked one, and I'm going to try to walk you through it as quickly as I can. 2 Corinthians 5.14-21. For the love of Christ controls us, Paul says. All right, so I see that manifesting this concept of internal and empowering, okay? And I'm not just trying to be cheeky with this. I just want us to start thinking in terms of, does the covenant reveal itself through what Paul's teaching here? And I think it does. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, broad and inclusive, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So that speaks to the relational component. Therefore, from now on, and this is a powerful statement, therefore, from now on, Paul says, we recognize no one, broad and inclusive, according to the flesh, God's mercy initiative. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him this way no longer. It's relational, it's internal, it's empowering. And I personally believe that this one thing right here where it says, uh, we know no one according to the flesh, is probably one of the turning points that we can embrace in faith if we are to see the magnitude, the scope, and the power of the New Testament actually be released in our lives and ministry. Because it's going to change how we see ourselves. If we'll stop looking at ourselves in the flesh, we'll get a chance to get a glimpse of what God sees. Because God doesn't look on the outward man. He looks on the heart. Then scriptures that elude us in their simplicity and power, like love your neighbor as yourself, will have some power to them. Because we'll get a chance to love ourselves and not have to hold our nose while we do it. Because we're not constantly looking at what's wrong with us. We're looking at the inward man. And we're looking at an inward man where the Spirit abides and makes room, according to Ephesians 3, makes room for Christ to dwell in us. Richly. Yeah, it does say richly. Okay? All right. I think that's the turning point right there in this particular thing, example. So the scripture continues, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, all things are new. Uh, Relational, internal, and empowering. And also, I should probably put up there that driven by God's mercy kind of initiative. Because what does it say at the end of that? It says, I will greet your transgressions with mercy, and I will remember your sins no more. Now, it's one thing for me to forget an offense that you perpetrated against me. That's probably a good thing for me to do. But that's no great shakes in the, in the whole thing of the cosmos because it could just be become getting old and senile. senile how do you pronounce that? But when God Almighty, who, who knows everything and everyone and every sparrow that falls to the ground, when God says, I will remember your sins no more, that is establishing the basis for a relationship that changes everything. Everything. And I would say that we have not exploited the nature of that relationship, the nature of that newness at all, hardly. I would say that we spend a lot of times condemning ourselves, a lot of times focusing on, on what we're not yet and on our faults, and then we, we have a really tough time not watching and looking at other people on the basis of what's on the outside. This is huge in the New, in the new Covenant. Okay, so now, now all these things are from God. All these things are from God. What? What's from God? The fact that you're a new creature in Christ. Really, honestly, for sure, that's from God. Um, who reconciled us to himself through Christ? It's relational and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world, cosmos, broad, broad and inclusive to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And the the reason I put relational there is he didn't just announce this in the sky and he didn't just leave it to creation to declare his glory in this matter. He has actually given us that responsibility. And, And it's internal, it's empowering, it's broad, it's inclusive, and then it finishes up like this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, a relational appeal. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I see it as broad and inclusive. I see it as internal and empowering. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So here's what I want to close on on this scripture. I think that this, if we could embrace just what Paul's saying there and say I will make a commitment in faith to no longer seek to know anyone according to the flesh. I want you to think of the power of that commitment. And I don't necessarily want you to just think of it negatively. It's easy to think negatively. You can sit in there and think, well, that would mean I can't think of this person this way, I can't think of this person this way, I can't think of this person this way. way." Okay, that's a start, but that's not the end. That's not even the way to begin, really. The way to begin is to go, Father, what would it be like if I no longer counted Even in my petty, self-centered, narrow vision way, anybody's sins against them. What would it be like? What would life be like? What would my relationships be like? And I think it will change everything. So to me, the way to believe the new covenant is not to hold it as an abstract doctrinal belief. The way is to take something like this thing that Paul says, and I know everybody in here has read this passage of Scripture and, and, you, and you all have the same questions that I have. How is that possible? What does it mean that all things are new? What does it mean that, uh, you know, uh, he's not counting anybody's transgressions against him? What does it mean that he's reconciling everything and everybody to himself? But let's use our faith. Let's, let's trust. So, so like we're singing today, I will build my life upon your love. That's what the new covenant is. It's not an accounting error that causes God not to remember anybody's sins. It's an intentional act of love. It's an intentional act of love. And we can live in this covenant. So the last thing I want to say about the covenant tonight is, is, is I beg us to start taking it seriously. Start putting it to the center. Let it be the filter of all that we read about in Scripture and all that we think. And if we go through a big important passage of Scripture like this one, that's talking about God reconciling people and people being new, and all things coming from God, and and, and, and we need to be reconciled. Just, just let the new covenant, as best as you understand it, be the guiding principle, the interpretive lens, the filter through which you do that, and then try to apply it some way. One simple way. So like go a week without, without trying to figure out somebody on the, on the base of the flesh.